This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. Okay, so some fairly major developments in Rhode Island's 2022 gubernatorial race took place this week. Number one, Treasurer Seth Magaziner formally throwing his hat into the ring. And then also the optics of not taking reporters' questions immediately following his announcement presentation in Pawtucket. Um, And then also, Providence Mayor Jorge Alorza saying that he is not running for governor. So we're going to break that all down today with the Boston Globe's Dan McGowan. It's Bill Bartholomew here with you on Rhode Island's podcast of record, the Bartholomew Town Podcast, where you can listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, ripodcast.com, or wherever you like to listen to shows. And, you know, there's also other elements uh, at play. We'll get to those with Dan. I've learned from a number of sources that I spoke with this week that there will be a progressive candidate, another progressive candidate that will be entering the race fairly soon. And then also, is there going to be a Republican candidate? So lots on the table, not to mention how all of this impacts other statewide elections that are coming up in 2022. If you'd like to support the independent journalism, entertainment, opinion, and analysis that B-Town has become known for, well, you can become a B-Town insider by visiting our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Bartholomewtown, where for as little as $3 per month, you'll be able to help sustain this program. That's patreon.com slash Bartholomewtown. Okay, so the Boston Globe's Dan McGowan joins us here on B-Town, and you know, this morning you had a really concise, we're taping on a Thursday, the Thursday morning edition of Roadmap. It really had an, a nice, nicely laid out kind of description of where we're at, at least in terms of the Democratic primary. My first question, though, and you indicated that you kind of saw the writing on the wall for Mayor Lorza to not be getting involved in this gubernatorial race. Why is that? And when did it really start to be clear to you that this was not going to be in Mayor Lorza's immediate future plans. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to, to pretend that I'm, you know, ha- I'm such a visionary. But you know, to be honest and to be clear, I think uh, I I was surprised as surprised as anybody that he decided to um, call it quits or drop, you know, d- decide not to run this early in the game. Um, one thing that you know, I, I know a lot of other folks have. Uh, you know, started to kind of float was this idea that maybe the mayor would run for, you know, treasurer or uh, lieutenant governor. And I've always thought that was very unlikely because honestly, I think when you're, once you're the mayor of Providence, the only other jobs that are appealing enough that kind of uh, appeal to your sort of the addiction to the limelight that you get when you're mayor of Providence is it's governor or the congressional seats. Right. Um, so I never thought he would run for anything else. And so with all the money and sort of, you know, a guy who, who has a platform, who has something to say, I I did think he would at least announce that he was running for governor, you know, and flirt with it. But I will say, you know, you started here in the last couple of weeks, um, Number one, you know, he had laid off a, a staffer who, who had come on board in the campaign. That's always a sign, you know, something's going on when you're this quickly, you know, telling someone to, you know, they're, they're going to be on unemployment. Um, so that kind of thing, I know he had pulled recently. Um, and while he hasn't talked very much about it, uh, it's been a very difficult, you know, six, eight weeks for Mara Lorza. I can't imagine his polling um, you know, came back particularly strong. Um, the only polling I've ever seen on him statewide came actually last year. Um, and he was, he was pretty negative even then, you know, a year ago, right around election time. So 
let's say, 11 months ago, 10 months ago. Um, and so, you know, I think the, the writing was on the wall in some ways. But again, I should say, I mean, I, re- I did think that he would at least throw his hat in the ring, flirt with it for a while, and then, you know, try to be the kingmaker in some ways and, and, you know, make a big endorsement, let's say, next spring or something. Yep. Um, so I'm very surprised that it happened this week. I guess the other aspect of Alorza is he's sitting on a good amount of campaign cash. Do you see him as somebody who would challenge, a, a, whether it be a Cicilline or um, sit out for, I mean, if McKee wins, he will be in, in a 10-year run potentially, but do you see him, him floating around Rhode Island politics for another decade or so and possibly it's going to be a while and then, and then people with short memories might not remember whether it's the Mike Stevens incident or anything else that has dogged the the mayor over the last six to eight weeks? So it's a really good question, and like let, let's kind of break it down two different ways. So do I think he'll play around Rhode Island politics for a while? I do. Um, I'm not sure what form that will take, but to your point, with a million bucks uh, in your campaign account, uh, he, he can be a major player. I mean, if Jorge Alorza wanted to, he could be leaving office and he could sort of spend about enough money to help elect eight city council members and have, you know, even from, from a, a distance, have a majority of the city council kind of, you know, with his vision um, uh, going forward. So, you know, that's what a million dollars can do for you. That would, by the way, you'd have more than enough money to do, you know, a lot in city politics Think about it. In the over the last six eight months, he's become very supportive of like charter schools, things like that. So I think he'll he'll have a, a presence in Rhode Island politics. Um, one thing I'd say to keep an eye on uh, four years from now, or I suppose five years from now, Peter Nerona will be term limited. Yep. Um, I think Mayor Lorza, he's a he's an attorney. He's a former housing court judge. Uh, I think he really would like uh, a, to take a potential look at the attorney general's office as a, as a potential um, thing to run for. Uh, I think there's a lot of people that are going to hear this and say, boy, that's crazy. But again, he's an activist. He, you know, he, he, he really enjoyed the only time that he ever felt comfortable as mayor of Providence, you know, in the spotlight was those, those weeks and months after president Trump was elected when he was, you know, out there all the time. He kind of hit his stride. He likes that sort of activism. So don't rule out running for uh, attorney general in a couple of years. Um, and then you're right. The longer this goes on, you know, look, I, I'm, I remember uh, Angel Tavares getting beat in Providence by Gina Raimondo in his Democratic primary as a sitting mayor. Yep. And a few years later, there are people still right now who are knocking down Mayor, or Mayor Tavares's door to say, hey, you should run for governor. You should try this. You should think about it. So, you, you know, you can always make a, you know, come back. You can always, um, uh, you know, have, have some sort of role in politics. So I don't think he's done by any means, but, um, you know, he's going to have to pick real smart spots because he, he's leaving office or he'll be leaving office with very few kind of, uh, uh, you know, A-list uh, supporters, right? Not a fan. Legislature's not a big fan of his. Certainly, the the statewide candidates don't love him. So, you know, he's going to have to take some time off. Maybe take some breathing. You know, take some time to breathe. Become a professor. Do something. Um, but I do think you'll see him back just because he has that much money. 
That's really fascinating. The attorney general spot that that's something to definitely watch for. And it does make a lot of sense. Um, Pivoting to Seth magazine are obviously the big rollout this week on Broadway and Pawtucket, a pretty good amount of elected officials and other, I guess, politicos around, you know, everyone from Thomas Cutes from former head of the union at Ripta to yeah Brandon Potter, the um, member of the round political cooperative that's that was on hand and just a, a number of different people. Of course, the big story, the big takeaway was Magaziner not taking questions at the end of his big announcement presentation. I guess that'll fade away in a little while, but right now it seems like he can't escape that. Was that a big mistake on his part? Yeah, I think it was. It was an unforced error. Um, yeah. The one thing to remember, it's an unforced error. There's no doubt. But, so period stop there. The one thing, though, is go then read the next day's coverage in all in, in the Globe or, or in the, the Providence Journal or really any of the news outlets. You know, it's a it's a passing mention that he, that he didn't take questions. Yeah. I don't think that the uh, that that the Seth Magaziner campaign is is really beating themselves up over um, over not taking questions. It looks bad. It got us all riled up. Uh, certainly it's, it's been, you know, something talked about on talk radio, a, a whole bunch. Um, and so it's a legitimate critique. It was, I mean, just flat out, it was not very smart. Um, but to your point, it's not gonna, no one's going to remember this, you know, a week from now, let alone a year from now. He's someone who's not in favor of defunding the police, um, or, or any of, I guess the, the, um, bullet points that some would say, would qualify you as a progressive candidate? Does he have the material makeup to win over the progressive base in Rhode Island as a viable candidate, as somebody who can actually take on the gov- the sitting governor and Secretary Gorbea? I think it's the biggest question going in this in this race right now. Um, you know, especially now with with Mayor Lors out, and I, I wrote this in Roadmap uh, today. You know, Mayor Lors was not going to be the next governor. I don't think he was going to win. Um, but he was going to be a factor in the race. He was going to pull people to the left. He was going to make people take strong positions on some of the things that he's done, reparations, you know, universal income, controversial um, issues if you're trying to kind of be in the moderate lane of the Democratic Party. And except Magaziner, um, the thing that he's been very good at um, is, as treasurer is... He, he just doesn't make a lot of enemies, right? Pick school construction as his big issue. Virtually nobody opposes, certainly in the Democratic Party, uh, opposes you know school repairs and school co- construction. He picked that as an issue. It was safe. It was the right thing to do. He likes to, you know, he's going to stake out your, your very standard progressive or Democratic positions when it comes to guns and things like that. Um, but... You know, for for certain folks, uh, you know, on the left, and I think use people like State Senator Sam Bell, certainly far to the left, they do many times have a litmus test for, you know, for what matters and for who they'll support. Defunding the police or, or you know, reforming police departments, that's going to be an issue. So he's going to have to kind of dance around and, and figure out an answer on that kind of stuff. He's going to have to you know, have a, a, a better, more clear position when it comes to taxing the wealthy, things like that. 
Um, and yeah, I think there's always a chance that he's not going to be progressive enough for, um, you know, for a lot of folks on the, on the Democratic Party. But keep in mind, right now, if he is the, the kind of viable alternative when it comes to fundraising, big name, to the incumbent governor, certainly you're going to have to make a choice. If you were, if you lean further to the left, do you love the current governor or are you willing to give you know someone like Seth Magaziner a shot? Now, question becomes, where does Nellie Gorbea, you know, move? Does, right. does she try to, you know, make the move far to the left? Um, it's not her style in a lot of ways. She's pretty, I would say, moderate uh, as well. But there is a lane here. So, you know, somebody will probably be be grabbing at that progressive mantle uh, in the coming months. Yeah, I've heard over the last week from two entirely different sources that the Rhode Island Political Cooperative is is definitely going to put forth a candidate in the gubernatorial race and also in pretty much every state office race. And the likely name right now is Matt Brown. Now, he had a very underwhelming effort, if you will, in 2000. 18 with respect to Governor Raimondo, but does a Matt Brown getting in, in addition to the independent turned, sort of progressive, sort of, he's got libertarian elements to his platform, but Dr. Luis Daniel Munoz, do they cannibalize each other and is, do they have any impact at all if they're both in there and they're not able to consolidate the Aaron Regenbergs and Sam Bells and so on and so forth in terms of getting the several thousand people who are self-identifying as progressives out in the knocking doors or making calls well suddenly you're you know the more people that get in the race the more dan mckee's gonna feel good about it i think dan mckee is saying the more the mayor i actually think uh despite the fact that he doesn't love mara lorza he'd have liked mara lorza to be uh in the race just strictly based on numbers but you ask a really important question i mean how many folks out there uh, are there? How many voters out there are there who are going to be, you know, willing to support a candidate who is going to be extremely far to the left? Now, look, Matt Brown's an interesting guy. First of all, he has the ability to raise money. Um, he's he's got some independent money that he he can spend of his own. So, you know, he's a factor. And depending on which point in the 2018 Democratic primary against Gina Raimondo, you look at it, I mean, you know, you're right. The result was pretty bad, right? Gina Raimondo easily won. But, you know, I was there on election night, and I can remember, you know, four, five, six o'clock on election night, and, and I can remember being in the newsroom in Channel 12 and having the thought that, oh, my God, there's a chance Matt Brown might win this thing. Yeah. People were on their heels in the Raimondo campaign. They were worried about maybe not about losing, but maybe about having you know, God, what if it's a, what if it's a five point win? What if it's just, it's so embarrassing that, that kind of thing. So, you know, Matt Brown uh, is certainly not a non-factor. And you, you bring up Munoz, who I think is really interesting. Look, he, he he's going to struggle to really and truly break through in this race. He doesn't have the money and he doesn't have the campaign infrastructure to make that happen. That said, you know, he, he, he is a, you know him, he's a very smart man. Um, you know, if he get, can get on the debate stage, if he can maybe win over a few of the, you know, mainstream progressives in this state, suddenly you're, you're talking about maybe he's a five, six, seven percenter 
Um, suddenly now the pie gets a little bit smaller. How, where does Matt Brown go from there? Mm-hmm. And again, it all comes back to if there are five or six candidates in this race, really hard. Dan McKee would have to lose the race as opposed to win. Yeah, absolutely. And you think back to the Ramundo campaign commercial, television commercial, who is Matt Brown? You know, this really yes. dark music that they, the, the fact they spent money on that shows that there was concern and it suggests that there could be, as a, as a whole, there could be concern from the quote unquote, quote unquote, more mainstream candidates about a, a Munoz or a, a Brown. Okay, lastly, um, Governor McKee, you've got the ILO group situation. We've got the Tony Silva wetland situation. There's concern that there is inconsistency of opinion between the McKee team and the Department of Health. Does he have the name recognition and the general appeal to ride the uh, the chair of incumbency, if you will, to victory? Obviously, there's a million political lifetimes between now and next September, but is he in a good position? Yeah, I mean, you know, on one hand, it's been a tough month. Um, on the other, boy, if I'm going to have my tough month, I'd love for it to be August and September, the year before a primary, right? <laughs> yeah, right. You know, you get lucky potentially with maybe there, you know, nothing comes of Tony Silva, and, you know, on the on the sort of attorney general's investigation side. Um, I'm less concerned. I'll be honest. I don't think this ILO group thing, I think it's a total news story. I think it matters, but I don't think it's something that breaks through to the electorate. Um, you know, people hate consultants, but... I mean, Gina Raimondo was the queen yeah. of consultants, Boston right? Boston Consulting uh, basically d- designed our initial pandemic response. It, so, I mean, it, it's exactly. And by the way, you know, there's an argument to be made. And it's a different conversation that sometimes cons- the reason why consultants are consultants, right? Yeah. They, they have a track record doing what they, you know, doing good things or doing, you know, being smart, whatever. Um, but, yeah, look, you know, all this comes down to now with Dan McKee, with Governor McKee, is how does he handle things going forward, right? Can't have too many more screw-ups, and, you know, let's assume that there won't be. Let's assume that there won't be that many more, you know, significant mistakes that call into question any sort of credibility or, you know, uh, you know, look like there's a dark cloud over his administration. So then how does he handle inc- incumbency? One thing he struggled with, I think, in the last... Um, six weeks kind of alongside some of the, the you, know, you know, the Tony Silva thing or the ILO group thing is, um, you know, be, you, you just mentioned it, kind of feeling like maybe he doesn't, he doesn't see eye to eye with the health department at all times. He's been, he was a little back and forth when it came to uh, masking in schools. He ended up landing on, I think, what most people would say is the right position. But you know, where does this go from here? Is he going to prove himself as kind of a decisive leader or is he always going to kind of be, you know, a little bit wishy-washy? Um, look, he was a good mayor of Cumberland. He was a good lieutenant governor. He has every reason to have a lot of momentum. Some of this stuff could just be blips on the radar. And you and I could be talking a year from now right before or maybe just right after a, a Democratic primary where you say, well, of course he was going to win. There were all these candidates in the race. He was the incumbent. So, you know, I, I would say I wouldn't have, I wouldn't, uh, if, if you're in Camp McKee and you really love Dan McKee, I wouldn't throw in the towel at this point. But definitely, I mean, he's not as strong as he was maybe 90 days ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but who knows, 90 days from now, he could be, you know, the far and away leader. He's Dan McGowan of the Boston Globe's Rhode Island section. He's 
the columnist, really the, the state's columnist, no doubt about it. And you should definitely subscribe to Roadmap if you haven't already, which is free. And then go ahead and subscribe to the Boston Globe. Exciting stuff as always, sir. And uh, let's see where this goes. It's going to be interesting. Bill, thanks for having me. This was great. Absolutely.